0: Good morning! morning. My name is Victoria Kovarik, I'm one of the pastors here at One Hill Community Church and we are one church in different locations so I wanted to give a warm greeting to all of you here in the Bethel campus and to everyone watching in Waterbury, in New Milford, in the valley and online. And today is that moment, I love this time of year, that moment between Christmas when we celebrate um, all that we remember of the coming of Jesus and the new year, and the start of all that is to come. And there's something about this moment, and it seems so appropriate that our sermon title for today is A New Day. We are about to step into a new day. Can you believe it's about to be 2020? Wow. But before we do, one of the things that I love at this time of year is to reflect back on the year that has gone. To look back on 2019 with thankfulness and with reflection on all that has happened, all that I've learned, all that has taken place, and look forward to the year that is coming. And so I want to give you a moment, just a moment, as you reflect back on 2019, what were those New Year's resolutions or those hopes and dreams that you had at this moment last year? And what has happened since? imagine that as we look back on 2019 there are some real blessings that we're thankful for things that have happened that have been beautiful and wondrous and it, it's great imagine that for others 2019 has actually been a really difficult year the beauty is i believe in a god who is present in the hard times as well as the good And therefore we can be thankful to him for his presence, for the way he has purified us in the midst of hardships, the way we have grown, the things we have learned. But as we look back on 2019 and where we were this time a year ago, and as we look forward to 2020, how will it be different? How will it be different from what has been? If you're struggling with issues, are you still struggling with the same issues? Have things changed? Are you in relationships that, that you're longing for something to happen, but it still hasn't? Do you feel lost and anxious, trapped or hopeless? Maybe you're still holding on to the grudge that you had this time last year, but nothing's changed in that relationship with family or friend. Maybe you feel suffocated by fear or regret, hungry for love, longing for a change. Maybe things have gone really well. Whatever your situation, I believe that if you long for a new day, the only way to find it is in Jesus Christ. The only one that can change all that has been and take you into a whole new life is Jesus Christ. The only one who can give you a fresh start is Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is so we might hear Christ speaking to our hearts this day and leading us into a new day, that he might speak to us and we might hear. So I'd like to begin in prayer. Father, I wanna thank you that you're a God that promises a new day. That if we are in Christ, the old has gone and the new is here. Lord, I wanna pray that this morning you might speak to us through your word that you might meet us in those deep places. Lord, whether 2019 was a year to be um, remembered as an amazing year or a horrible year or something in between, Lord, whatever this last year has been, we look to you and we ask for a new day. For those in this room that have never come to a knowledge of you, I pray that you would speak loudly to them today. And for those that do know and love you, that you would remind us afresh of who you are and what you've done and what it means to be in you as we step into 2020. May you be glorified in our lives. For we ask these things in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen. The passage we're looking at today is two Corinthians, chapter five. If you have a Bible with you, can I ask that you would open it? Uh, if you're looking for the passage, you want to be in the New Testament. you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts, Romans, and then we have one Corinthians and two Corinthians. You want two Corinthians, chapter five. I know the scripture reading was read, but I'd like to use this passage actually a little more than what was read as a framework for what we're going to look at this morning. Now, just to give us a context for this passage, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth is about 53 miles from Athens. It's in Greece. It's near the sea. And he's writing to a church that he knows personally. He spent 18 months with them. He will spend, um, he will have three separate visits with them during his ministry. And Paul has written several letters. Now scholars debate how many. It could be as many as five. What we have in our Bibles are two. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now something has happened between the end of 1 Corinthians and the writing of 2 Corinthians. What happened is that although Paul had gone and he had shared the good news of Jesus and he had seen this little church start with the first few believers, although he was right there and been involved in their beginning, what happened is when Paul left and went on to other places that some false teachers came in. And they started to undermine Paul's calling and his character and his conduct. And the church started to doubt the man that they had trusted. And can you imagine what that must have felt like for the Apostle Paul? Here are people that he's loved dearly, he's invested in, and they start to reject him and start to question him. And so Paul sends Titus, another brother to go and minister to the church and to speak into this situation and and Paul then gets word to say that the majority of that church have actually um, repented of what they were thinking and they they now respect and, and value Paul and so I read to Corinthians and I feel like I can hear heart of a man who deeply loves these people. The relationship's been fractured, there's been hurt, and yet there is a deep love for these people. And so I want to begin at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going to read to the beginning of verse 14. Paul says this, we live in such a way that no one, oh, sorry, just starting on the wrong verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it is to bring glory to God, and if we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Did you hear the heart? The, those words, and Paul says, I'm not about a spectacular ministry. I'm not about um, fireworks and it all looking amazing. No, I come with you to you with a sincere heart. I'm speaking from that deep place. I have a love for you. And I, I've come to share with you the truth of what we hold. I, I, I don't come because I want to point to me. I come because I want to minister to you. And Paul talks about two things that motivate him. The first one, we see at the beginning of verse 11, it says that he is motivated by a fearful responsibility to the Lord. Now in your Bible, it might say the fear of God. That is not being terrified of who God is. No, it is a deep awe, a reverence, a desire to please God more than a concern for other people. And so Paul says, what is motivating me to speak to you, what is driving me is a deep desire to honor God. And then his second motivation is a deep love for you. I'm motivated by by my desire to honor God and my love for you. I have had um, a number of people come to me over the years and say, oh, this whole talking about Jesus and sharing my faith, you know, what if I say the wrong thing? Or I I really don't know what to say. Or what if I put my foot in it? What am I supposed to do? I I feel so awkward. I don't want to do that. And I love what Paul says. He says, the motivation is not you. It's God and those around that you long would experience his love. What if we as people realize that whether everyone around us thought we were crazy or not, it doesn't matter because God gets the glory. And whether those around us are blessed by what we say, that's beautiful, but at the end of the day, it's for their benefit, not for mine. And that's basically what Paul says. He says, I share this because I want God to get the glory. I share this because I want you to be benefited. I don't mind what you think about me, but I'm going to do what I believe is right, and I'm going to share this message. And we go on. The next bit of 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I mean, basically, what Paul is saying is Christ's death changes everything. Whether you realize it or not, it changes everything. Until that moment, the purpose of our existence was, was us. What we wanted, that, that hamster wheel of madness, of, of trying to keep up with things. We became the center of our own universe. We are the I, the me, the ego, the it, the, the root of what life was about, right? Now we might add in family and sports teams and work and other things, but we become the center of our universe and what Paul is saying is that actually with Christ, The purpose of life is Him. That it's not about being in me and what I'm doing and what I want, it's about being in Christ and knowing Him and experiencing His love. That actually a change has taken place with the cross and that we have been invited into a whole new purpose of life. Paul talks about how before he, had, he looked at others from a very human point of view. And that that has changed with the cross. And isn't that true for many of us, that we look at each other from a very human point of view? They have a funny accent. They are not like me, or they're a really interesting person, I want to get to know them. That we evaluate each other by what we have and how we look and what we do, and, and maybe how we say what we say. That's a very human point of view. And what Paul is saying is that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't evaluate by a human point of view. We evaluate in Christ. And what is that? To be in Christ is to say, wow, that person is loved and has worth and has value. Why? Because Christ died for them. Doesn't that challenge our assumptions as the people of God? that we might look at each other from a very God's point of view. Not only as we see each other, but as we realize that we are seen that way, that you are worth dying for, that you are loved by your heavenly Father, that Jesus has done all that needs to be done, that you might know God, that you might be reconciled. And so Paul goes on, he says, not only did I used to have a very human point of view in looking at others, I also had a very human point of view in looking at Jesus. And how many in our world do that we look at Jesus as a carpenter or a good moral teacher, or somebody who had some wonderful quotes that I might put on my Instagram feed, that somebody who said some good things. But that is not the sum total of who Jesus is. That is seeing Jesus to a very human point of view. See, the divine point of view says sees Jesus as fully God and fully man as God come to earth, as Emmanuel, God is with us. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Not Jesus to an earthly point of view, but Jesus as the one who came that we might belong to Christ, that we might be declared a new creation. You see, it can be very tempting, can't it, to do makeovers and revamps and restorations, I don't know about you, but I quite like watching those. But when we're talking about the living God, he's not into a revamp. He's not into a makeover, a restoration, a let's take you and make you look a little prettier. No, the living God doesn't do that. You know what he does? He makes you a whole new creation. You the old is gone. All those regrets, all those fears, all those lies, they go at the cross of Jesus, and you are made brand new in him. And that is the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that only God can. It's not the old plus, but it's something entirely new. There's a British Bible teacher. He um, was born in 1930. He's like in between my parents and my grandparents in age. A man I deeply respect. His name is David Pawson, and he put it this way A librarian is someone who is in a library. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. And this is the definition of what a Christian is. You may go to church, you may sing some hymns, or you may say some prayers, and from time to time, you may even read your Bible and try and be kind to everybody, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You're still the old person trying to do better. You're still the old man. But when you step into Christ, when you live in Christ, when he is the air that you breathe, when he is the dwelling you live in, when he is the life you live, when he is the ambition you have, when he is the affection you have, when you are in Christ, and it is the same thing as saying when Christ is in you, it's just so much one that you are in him and he is in you, then what happens is you are a new creation the old is gone, the new has come. And so Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 and he says, and all of this is a gift from God. Isn't that beautiful? It's not about my striving, it's not about my effort, it's not about my wanting, it's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, new life begins when we are reconciled to God. I don't know if you've thought very much about this word, reconciled. It's been on my mind a lot the last week. But to bring something together, presumably it's been separated. To reconcile in relationship, presumably there has been anger or hurt or bitterness, maybe they're even enemies. and and need to come back together. And what Paul is saying is that we have been reconciled to God. And you may be sitting there going, but I'm not an enemy of God. Okay, but who are you living for? Are you caught up in that sense of it's just about me, it's just about my life and what I'm doing? Are are your eyes focused on yourself? Are, Are you living in, in independence of God? That's sin. Are you living in defiance of God? That's sin. Are you living as separated? You've turned your back on. You're wanting to fix it for yourself. I mean, the truth is we live in New England. None of us want someone telling us what to do, do we? And and the very basic of, of, of the Christian message is that we have sinned we have fallen short, we've, we've got it wrong, we've made mistakes, we've turned our back, and we've wanted to do it our way. And that's what sin is. And, and the, the truth is, it's that sin separates us from our holy God. And so here we are, we're separated, and, and yet God is good, and he is loving, and he's compassionate, and he's kind. But he's also just and he's holy and you might sit there and say well surely God could just like bypass sin and and that would be great right he could bypass sin reconcile us to himself and that's fine yeah but if he did that he would be to go against your own free will it would be to treat you as a robot that actually he could make you do what you wanted what God did instead he says no I'm going to deal with that I'm going to deal with the stuff that separates human beings from me. I want to deal with that. I'm going to remove that. I'm going to, to forgive that in order that humans might know that they're invited into a relationship with me, that they have a choice to respond. And so what happened is that God sent his son, Jesus, And if you want a summary, a really good summary of what Christ has done for us, I suggest memorizing 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. See what Paul writes here, he says, For God made Christ who never sinned. Christ is the sinless one. Christ, fully God and fully man, had never turned his back on the Father. He had never gone away and done things himself and in his own strength, he is sinless. In fact, do you remember uh, right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry when he goes into the desert and he fasts for 40 days? The devil kind of proved the point because the devil tempted Jesus to see if he would fall into sin And, and this is what happened. Jesus responded, every temptation, Jesus responded with the word of God, with the truth of the Bible every temptation. So when Satan tempts, or the devil tempts Jesus to satisfy his own needs, he responds, people do not live by bread alone. When the devil tempts him to take power and authority for himself, he says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When the devil tempts him to test the power of God, he says, you must not test the Lord your God. That every time the devil tempts Jesus into sin, Jesus says no, and he stands on the word of God. He's the sinless one. He's the one that never, never sinned, was pure, was, was holy. And Paul says that for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. Or other translations put it, to be sin itself. The sinless one took on all our sin, all our rebellion, all our anger, all our rejection of the living God, and he bore it on himself. That's why Paul could say in verse 14, that if we have died with Christ, you see it in 15, then we will also live with him. In taking on all our sin, it was as if, in effect as if we died with Christ, that we might then live with him. That the sinless one took on the sin to deal with the sin and resolve it. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's not something that we earn, it's something that we receive. And the beauty is that no one is overlooked by the cross. No one has sinned so horrendously that the cross cannot cover it. All sin was placed on Jesus Christ. All sin is forgiven and redeemed. And the invitation is there. And it is as if God flings open the doors and basically says, I want to be reconciled with you. I want to be reconciled with you. But the the truth is, that as individuals, we need a response. Like, I can stand and open the door, but until you come over the threshold, you're not coming in my house. And it's as if God makes the same invitation. He says, I've dealt with sin. I've dealt with everything that separates. I want to be reconciled with you. Would you come in and be with me? Well, let's take another imagery. Let's think of a gift. I might give you a gift, and that's beautiful, but until you receive the gift, open the gift, and enjoy the gift, it doesn't really count for very much, does it? And what the living God has done is he has done all that is needed in order to offer us the gift of salvation. And he says, Here, here's a gift. Will you receive it? It is available for you. All you have to do is to say yes to take it. And then you will be in Christ. You will be a new creation. The old will be gone, the new will be here. I want you to know what it is to be forgiven and restored and reconciled with me. That's how I made you in the first place to walk with me and know me. Would you come back? And so we see those words of Paul that we cry, come back to Christ. It may well be that uh, Paul is not making this statement, assuming that they don't know it. He's making this statement to remind them of what they do know that they have been invited to come back to Christ, that Christ has died for them, that they might be reconciled to God, that what Paul is doing is he is restating the good news of Jesus. But I love what Paul does. He says, so we, that's all of us, who have, surre- who have given our lives to Christ, who are in Christ, who know Christ, who are a new creation, he is saying to all of us who have taken that step that we are Christ's ambassadors, God is making his appeal through us. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word ambassador, but what it meant to a Roman is this. A Roman, um, an ambassador was a man selected by the Roman Empire to go to a country that had just been defeated. And to go to that country that had just been defeated with an offer of peace. Now, if that land said, Yes, I want peace, that that nation, that country would then be joined to the family of Rome. When Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors, he's saying that God has sent us out to others with a message of peace, inviting them to come and join the family. Inviting them to come and know God's to come and be reconciled to God, but to come and join with other brothers and sisters who are seeking to be in Christ and live in Christ, who know what it is to belong to Christ. Doesn't that shift the way we think about sharing our faith? That we're going out there with an offer of peace and an invitation to join the family. It's very tempting when you read the Bible and you get to the end of a chapter to think you've read it. Here comes a challenge. This is a letter. And so we may have chapters and verses to help us read it more easily, but I believe that the thought that Paul is having in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it flows into 2 Corinthians 6 verses 1 and 2. And so I'd like to read that. As a natural onflow. So he has said, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. There's a challenge, isn't it? This gift is not just for a moment, this gift is for a lifetime. This gift is to transform you, that you might know Christ and the joy of walking with him each and every day. That actually it's not something to be had and then ignored, it's something to allow to transform and change your life as you seek to be in Christ. And then he goes on, "'For God says at just the right time I heard you. "'On the day of salvation I helped you. "'Indeed, the right time is now. "'Today is the day of salvation.'" Today is the day. And there's such hope in those words that no one need leave this place with unforgiven sin. No one need leave this place feeling weighed down or feeling separated from God. No one need leave this place trusting in their own strength and their own uh, abilities to get through 2020. That actually we have been invited in. The door is open. The gift is given. And the question is, will you receive that? Will you welcome that? Christ died for you and Christ died for me. The now of God's salvation is here. He is waiting. He is willing. He is inviting. What's your response? You see, the challenge is there's a flip side to that, isn't there? challenge is that there will come a day when it is too late i'm a pastor i've had the privilege and challenge of of encountering many people for whom the end of life has come often as a surprise the truth is that this message is for now yes and that now is now that now will one day have an end and that end will come when you die. And the danger is that we assume that we have more time. But I wanna encourage you that you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what's coming in, in the next few hours. I don't know what's coming in the next few hours. But today is the day. This is the day to discover the God that is offering you a new life, offering you hope and joy. He is encouraging you to remove the resistance, put down the excuses, humble yourself and receive his peace. And that peace walks with you into each and every day. That actually with each day to be in Christ, we are a new creation. There's so much more to discover. So whatever 2019 has brought, I want to ask you, what 2020 will bring. Do you want a new day? Do you wanna be freed from sin? Do you wanna have a transformed life, a purposeful existence? Do you wanna have love and peace and hope in the center of your being? Then, Then that all comes as we respond to the invitation of Christ. He's saying the door is open. Will you come in? The gift is given. Will you receive it? If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you will be reconciled to God and become a new creation. The old dies, the new is born. And as God's ambassador, I plead with you, come back to Christ. Come back to God. Do you wanna receive the greatest gift that's ever been given? Are you longing for a totally new life? Do you wanna be reconciled to God? Then today is the day. Don't wait for tomorrow because we don't know what it will bring. This is the day of salvation. This is the day to respond. This is the day when the door is open. Will you come in? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you that there is nothing we can do to earn your gift of salvation, we simply receive it. We want to thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on that cross. Jesus who responded with a father, not my will but yours be done, he chose to go to the cross knowing what it meant in order that we might be set free from our sins that we might know a hope in you that life might be different. Lord, we know it's not going to be perfect because we live in this world with all its brokenness and pain, but we know that it will be different because we'll do it with you, not, not in our own strength. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room who knows this truth that you might stir in their heart a greater sense of what you've done for them and a desire to share it with others. But, Lord, for those in this room for whom this is a something they've never stepped into, they've never received the gift, they've never stepped over the threshold, they've never been reconciled with you. Lord, I believe that your invitation is for them today. Come back to God. And Lord, I pray you'd give them the courage to step into that reality, to come back to you, to know your peace and your presence, to lay aside the shame and the embarrassment, and the fear, and the sin, and the lies, and to receive a whole new life in you. We ask, Lord, that you might move in this place, you might reveal yourself, and that the angels will rejoice in heaven as some come to know you for the very first time. For we ask this in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen.